What's up, my friends? This is Dan from Business Life and Ayahuasca with Daniel Cleland. Just finished a great conversation with a new friend, Mr. Wade Lightheart, the founder of BioOptimizers, massively successful uh, supplements company and health optimization company. About to go Fortune 500. Also, also the author of uh, several books and really cool guy, a bodybuilding champion from Canada, actually, from Moncton, New Brunswick, which was interesting to learn about him. Um, great uh, convo. We dove into some more difficult cultural topics as well as health topics today and mindset and life philosophy. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you do enjoy the conversation, Please help us out with a five-star review, like, subscribe, share it up with the people you think need to hear it. And of course, this conversation was sponsored by Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with ayahuasca medicine in the Shipibo tradition in Costa Rica, check out Soltara, one of the world's best, highly recommended by highly respected people. And you can get a hold of Soltara at www.soltara.co or on social media at Soltara Healing Center or by calling 1-800-397-1730. Thank you again for listening. We love you and wish you all the best. Cheers. All right. Mr. Wade Lightheart, a new friendly face. Meeting for the first time today, connected by some mutual friends, a few mutual friends in the circle, Mr. Kyle Kingsbury and right on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Wade Lightheart is an advisor to the American Anti-Cancer Institute, certified sports nutritionist, a three-time all-natural national bodybuilding champion, former Mr. Universe competitor. Were you also in Mr. Olympia as well, competing? The natural one, not the, the not the not the uh, the full on. Okay, founder of Bio Optimizers, a supplements company that you've probably heard of. Um, sponsors many popular podcasts, and uh, author, the, author of the book "Staying Alive in a Toxic World." And Lord knows this world has become a lot more toxic in the past couple of years, if not just for people's basic health habits, but for the psychological health and well-being of most of our population. Right. Big time. How, uh, how has your experience in the past 18 months been? Well, it, I, I, I think of uh, Charles Dickens, classic the tale of two cities it's the best of times and the worst of times and so i think um far as by optimizers and our business and our reach and our ability to help people um you know go from sick to superhuman has expanded exponentially during this time we've done we've been very successful and got more friends and more partners and more products and that's been just fantastic yet my soul is deeply troubled because of what has happened to freedom essentially the freedom of thought the the um 
how everything has been politicized, uh, censorship um, specifically. I think the things that has allowed the Western world to expand and to grow and to develop and create the opportunities and values that have literally transformed the entire globe more than any other system are now under attack um, from a variety of institutions and um, I would say bad actors who are interested in ushering a more totalitarian regime for whatever reason that they feel that that is superior. And it's put us on, you know, us on the kind of the, the, those of us who are maybe a little more contrarian in our approach to life about, you know, internal health and personal responsibility and self-development and freedom of speech and uh, entrepreneurship and health freedoms and these type of things for us who are in the minority in a certain aspect, um, we're right in the gun sites, I think, of these institutions because we're the last bulwark between absolute authoritarianism. And that's a difficult position to be in. However, uh, I'm an internal optimist. And I think that on a grander scale, what's happened is humanity has now become the evolutionary uh, pressure to create a mutation into a new species. So whether that's going to be homo digitalis, homo geneticis, homo spiritus, homo unitus, I think it's over for homo sapiens. And there's going to be a variety of experiments that happen, which are already well underway. And uh, there's going to be the emergence of new species. And some of those species are going to survive and some of them aren't. Wow, that's an interesting take. Um, So you... uh... You're Canadian. I'm also Canadian. I grew up in in Canada, and you know both of what us. Part? Well, that's what I, I wanted to ask you as well. Um, I grew up in a small town in Ontario called Walkerton, Ontario. Okay. Um, so uh, I I listened to your podcast with Kingsbury, and I heard you talking about how you grew up in a rural community, blue collar, a lot of hunting and fishing and stuff like that. And and I'm, I'm certain we had a very similar upbringing, but <clears throat> both of us grew up in and went and, and kind of went around the world and did our things and started our businesses and, and basically picked and choosed what we wanted out of life, picked and choose where we wanted to live and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I have a couple questions about, about, uh, your, you know, your upbringing in Canada and then kind of what, what spawned you to, to go out in the world and, and also what, uh, your thoughts are on the subject we just discussed, but in the context of Canada, because I have some thoughts there too. Um, uh, actually, actually, um, Let's let's start there because because you're now living in LA. LA and and California has been almost in the same line as Canada on the extreme side of things when it came to like lockdowns and control and censorship and all that kind of stuff. Um, I personally, I haven't been back to Canada in two years. I found it very frustrating and almost heartbreaking to see how 
controlling and dominating and and just restrictive things got there from the governmental perspective and censorship and all that kind of stuff. Um, what are your thoughts on on all that? Uh, Canada Canada has is not a um, it's it's not an absolute democracy. Uh, it's not it's a socialist system that has taken the next step into totalitarianism of a more Marxist quality. And the citizens of the of the country have forgotten that the government is the representative representatives of the people, not the dictators to the people. And that is largely in part because of a digital propaganda campaign by special interest groups who have literally profited from the lockdown of the citizens, the taking away of their rights and the funneling of both information and economics through very specific specific channels that allowed certain individuals and organizations to control the narrative as well to profit um, from the collective ignorance of the population and their genuine sense of naive goodness. I think the average citizen in Canada is generally a good person that thinks the best of things and can't possibly comprehend how um, tyrannical the country has come and they're playing a game of, well, this can't go on forever. Well, no, it can. It can go on forever and it has gone on forever in a lot of other countries. So that naive ignorance of the world and there uh, uh, of the... I think the malevolent intent of individuals who are in positions of power is significant. And the divide and conquer rule through censorship and disinformation and, sense and, and, and now social shaming for personal health freedoms is lockstep to exactly what Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote about in the Gulag Archipelago. It's a replay of the Maoist revolution that took the Chinese people and all the cultural evolutionary hell against, against Lao Beijing, the old hundred names in China, um, when, when that happened. And uh, we're seeing this, we saw this, people aren't talking about what happened to Hong Kong uh, that was taken over, a uh, former democratic uh, rule, which was had a beautiful fusion of Western uh, legal systems with, I would say, uh, traditional Chinese uh, family work ethic, uh, Hong Kong being one of the most successful turnarounds in the history of the world in a very short period of time when you marry those two things. And, you know, people have become comfortably numb. Um, they've been hypnotized by video and, 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 and videotized by, hypnotized by propaganda. And now they're playing a the game of, well, I don't want to lose this next thing. But at the end of the day, when I flew in to see my family, at Christmas time to a rural town called Moncton, New Brunswick, which I'm 20 miles outside of an even more rural little village. I was subjected to uh, having uh, uh, devices implanted onto my phone. I was met at the airport with uh, guys wearing camouflage outfits with guns and bulletproof vests. I was forced into home arrest, which they call a quarantine. Um, and the police came to my house in this little tiny village in rural New Brunswick, Canada, to ensure that I was actually where I was set to be. And so if you look at the statistical 
the actual statistics around the pandemic response and the risk that was presented to me, it, you have about the same risk of getting hit by lightning. And so this is a hyperbole response to uh, of questionable origins. And the, the solution, if you watch, uh, makes absolutely no sense. The solution, uh, if you walk, look at what's happened from a government response system and you match that with what virologists say, if you match this with what economists say, if you match this to statistical probability and what the leading think tank people are saying who are being censored, you have to go through alternative channels, then you look at this, there's a, there's a deeper, sicker thing that's going on. And I believe that Canada has fallen. And I'm, one of the things I'm in the United States is because I think the last hope for the world lies within the United States of America. Wow, that's a bold statement. Even in California, where some would say it has become somewhat lost in, in the direction of socialism. Well, you know, there are pockets within California, for example, if you take Orange County, I think has been far more resistant than LA County, which I find. So I have a great group of people that I work with in Orange County, and, and they've been much more uh, liberated in their actions and how they engage. I'm right here in the front lines. Um, you know, I believe that you know, some people are better off to be the eye in the sky and, and, and show air support. And then some knuckleheads like me need to be on the ground and, and, and be on the boots on the ground. And I'm a boots on the ground kind of guy. Let's get into it. Let's get at it. Uh, I've got a great compound here in Venice. I've got a four-story place. I've got a gym in my house. I've got my own food. I've got, I got everything I need. But I'm here standing as a, uh, as a beacon to uh, put up resistance. Put up, yeah, absolutely. You know, hey, you know what? You uh, you know, it's my body, my choice. I don't have to follow those programs. The science doesn't make sense. Don't tell me about follow the science. Uh, tyranny is tyranny. I don't care what you call it. And, you know, mafiesco offers are always, hey, do what we said so for your protection. When anybody says, hey, we're here to protect you, run. Uh, because chances are they're there to protect some other interest that has nothing to do with you. And I think anybody with a little bit of historical aspect can recognize that. You know, there's a lot of people that would hear us talking uh, and just say, oh, just another couple of, uh, you know, privileged white males or whatever, you know. But I tend yep. to agree with you that in a lot of ways, there's there's this massive transformation going on right now where oppression is coming in many ways. It's coming sure. in many ways. And some of them are ideological. Some of them are physical, like what you just described in your experience in Canada, but other ones are coming from shaming and coming from ganging up on the internet and, and coming from, from cancel culture and stuff like that. I'll use a, an example that has been hitting me this week. Um, I've been a little bit outspoken on, on social media about, you know, some of my resistances to some of the pressures that have been coming down from that more ideological pressure and that social pressure side of things. And, like I've literally been the same guy for, you know, the last 10 years, but now all of a sudden society has shifted. So that guy has, you know, become a racist or become a, a, a sexist or become a privileged white male or whatever, because that's what, you know, the goal, the goalposts have shifted. And all of a sudden yep. I, I feel this additional pressure. So I have been kind of outspoken in resistance to that uh, on social media. And that actually um, has 
resulted in in uh, potential investors in a new project, like basically reaching out and saying like, oh, we don't like what you posted online and we're uh, potentially thinking about pulling funds from this new project because of that. So that is just one example, real world example of like, okay, there's, there's a lot of pressure from a lot of sides on really, um, and I haven't said anything like, uh, I haven't actually said anything, let's call it, um, you know, like wrong. I've, 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 I've been inflammatory that would fan the flames of the current conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, um, I'll say something a little bit controversial only because I feel the pressure to conform and I just hate that pressure to conform. So it's like, um, you know, I'll throw a hashtag in there and be like, Oh, just, just to, you know, just to kind of piss people off a little bit. Right. Because I, I just, I've always hated being pressured into conforming into the mainstream. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, there's that pressure from so many sides to, to really fit the narrative. And whether that's coming from, uh, from the internet, from social media, or from, from people in various different ways, economically choking other people, uh, you know, like for example, Chinese choking out, uh, uh, people like in the NBA or movie stars, if they, if they say the wrong thing, then they're not allowed in the Chinese market or, mm-hmm. uh, people boycotting companies if they don't say the right thing. And then, so the company's responding by, by setting rules or, or boycotting other things to fit into a narrative. Um, it seems like there's just a lot of oppressive forces forming that are that are changing the dynamic of society and then you see the resistance being mainly in the United States or in 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 countercultural pockets around the world mm-hmm. um, you know there are countercultural pockets in Canada that I'm aware of in Europe and all France all- Germany Australia I've seen these movements which are going largely unreported in social media yeah, unless they get, uh, you know, unless they have a protest in the in the streets, and even that, maybe not, maybe not covered in the same way that it might yeah. be if it was a protest for for some other type of movement, you know. <sighs> Tough times. So, um, so what actually brought you into uh, to desire? leaving the place you grew up desire you grew up in canada you you got you you had the upbringing in canada and then what made you want to go and put a dent in the world great question and and i think canada for the most part has traditionally been an extraordinary country to live in um only recently has it made a dire turn in its direction and hopefully that will revert sometime in the future. But, you know, I grew up in rural Canada, playing hockey, doing all the rest of the things. But what happened is my sister, when I was 15, we moved to, a, you know, to the middle of the woods, five miles to my nearest neighbor. 
she was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is cancer of the lymph nodes. And I watched her go through the medical model for four years before she died at the age of 22. And that had a massive impact on me. First off, I knew that my health wasn't a guarantee or your life wasn't a guarantee, right? The second, the, the next piece of that was, I remember she was going through the treatments and the treatments seemed to be making her sicker. And I thought, well, why? And my naive way was, well, why is the treatments seem to be worse than the disease? And so it made me distrustful of what was being told to us. And it was all hidden behind medical jargon and reasons and stuff like that. And so I thought I'd better go figure out a better way. So I got into training. I thought if I had muscles and lifted weights, I'd be healthier. I went to university, studied exercise physiology. And when I was 22, I'd left university and I was um, just talking about this a few minutes ago to a friend of mine. And I, I remember I was working in a... Um, I was working in a furniture store 60 hours a week selling furniture. And uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't hate, I hated the job. I wasn't able to train as much as I want. I'm in the same town, the university town that I grew up. And I was like, and I woke up one morning and I, I, I woke out of my bed and I looked down my hallway, like I could look down my hallway and into the living room. And I was like, and it was like this tunnel vision. And I said, I've become everything that I said I wasn't going to be. And it was like, I could see the next 50 years of my life just clearly. It's like everybody else I knew. And I thought back to my sister. And, you know, when my sister was dying on her deathbed and stuff, I remember looking out the window with her and thinking, what would she give for another day? What would she give for an opportunity to feel good or go out and do the things I want? And I vowed at that time that I would always try the new thing or go take a chance or go take a shot because the, what's the worst thing that can happen? I failed. And I did. I went. I, I had read uh, Think and Grow Rich, and there was a story about uh, Barnes, who was a railway bum who who got on a train and met uh, Thomas Edison, and and uh, uh, tried to get in business with him. And he took a job as a janitor, and for five years he worked there. And then when the dictaphone came out, none of the salespeople wanted it, and he took that on, and it became one of the best selling products for Edison. He became successful, and he reached his goal of being in business with Edison, and went on to a great career. And I said, I need to do that. I need to, I need to burn the bridges. So I sold everything I had and got on, a, got on a, uh, a plane, my first plane ride, went to the West Coast, took a bus across the border to Seattle, took a train from Seattle to Los Angeles, came here, met Joe Gold, was training at World Gym at the time. He was running World Gym at the time. And after a couple of weeks, he said, hey, man, you know, do you got any friends down here? I'm like, no, you got any money down here? I'm like, no, do you got any... Uh, uh, you know, you got any family? I'm like, no. He's like, well, listen, the city, the city's going to eat you up. You don't need to be here to be a bodybuilding champion. You could be back in Canada, go back, make some money, get a business, get some things and come down periodically. So I took his advice, went back to Vancouver and started my career in the health field, working in gyms and nutrition stores and, um, you know, working my career as a bodybuilder. And eventually after tremendous amounts of failure, non-stop failure for year after year after year, I, I, I was able to find some success uh, later on and uh, things started to turn around. So what do you say, because th this is like one of my pet peeves, man. Like, what do you say when people look at you and, and your success and they just say, like, privilege? Like, you're just a white privileged male because you're successful and... What do you say after 
your knowing about how many struggles you went through to to actually get to that first base and how many times you failed before you even got a whiff of success? Well, first off, I, I, I acknowledge that I was fortunate enough to be born in a country of Canada. I had um, two parents, uh, two-parent home. Um, I wasn't beaten. I wasn't abused. I wasn't under any dysfunction. So I say, yeah, I did have some privileges. Um, absolutely. Um, I was, I was given those opportunities, which isn't available to a lot of people in the world. And I happened to be in that country and here's what I did with them. I didn't rest on it. I just didn't, you know, coast, you know, um, I worked on my own ignorances, which I still have many. Uh, I took the hard school lessons. I, I, I spent time in, in bettering myself. I traveled and lived in cultures that have different ways of doing things and exposed myself to, you know, philosophical ideas, um, different, you know, urban situations and rural situations. And I went out and traveled the world and got a real experiment. Not, not something that I heard on a, on a YouTube meme that got propagated around or through some university special interest groups that that people haven't been anywhere or done anything. Um, I did all those things. And um, I can say that I've done the very best I can with what I've been given. Am I perfect? No. Uh, do I have everything right? No. Um, did I achieve all the successes I wanted? Not yet. Um, but I'm doing the best I can and I'm making the world a better place. And I provide opportunities for everyone who comes into my business and my field to, to better themselves and to, to learn from me and excel beyond me if possible. And uh, whether that's within my company or without. And I've made my passion and my philosophy that. And, you know, my parents taught me something when I was a kid. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I'm not concerned about my social media presence. In fact, I just took it all off my phone recently because it's just a waste of time for the most part. And... And, and concentrate on real world connections. I know who I am and what my character is. What is projected onto me, I can't necessarily control. I can't control what somebody thinks of me. I can't control if they think I'm privileged. I can't control, nor do I feel a need to defend myself because maybe they're right. I don't know. I can't change that even if it was. What I can do is go out there and make the world a better place. And I'm very confident that I've done that and I will continue to do so. Whatever the public, uh, whatever the controlled public narrative is, because I don't think it's as public. I don't think the narrative is as popular as it's perceived because of the way uh, narratives are throttled or expanded in this media. And if people study the art of war, they will see that we are losing a war that we don't know that we're in. Is it just one side that doesn't know they're in that war or is it both? Sides? I believe so. I believe that the Western world has um, succumbed to comfort to such a level that it has become ignorant of the outside pressures or the, 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 the living conditions of other places in the world and the philosophies that go with, with them. 
and I don't condemn any other organization or any other group. It's not, not my business. But uh, if you haven't been anywhere and you haven't been to these places, you haven't seen how it's going on or talked to the people or become friends of people, you don't know. But when you've traveled to China and you've traveled to India and you've been into different parts of Europe and the feudal systems and throughout Latin America and you've studied history and you look at things and it become, the picture becomes very crystal clear. And usually when someone condemns us, uh, you know, just, you know, first off, two of my biggest heroes are Martin Luther King and Gandhi. And they would be appalled by the social justice warriors and what they're projecting out onto other people. You cannot judge. Martin Luther King says, I have a dream that one day that people will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Well, that doesn't apply to one color skin. It comes to everybody's. And the, the amount of melanin that I have within my skin is of no, or anyone else, has nothing to do with the judgment of things. And anybody that wants to argue that is, I mean, it's so backwards. It's come on. This is, this is 2021. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It really doesn't. I, I mean, it's like arguing you can only have blue paint on your car. You know, like what's wrong with red paint or black paint? It doesn't matter. You know, it's a paint job on the car. It's the same car underneath, and so it is for everyone else. Do you have do you have uh, any thoughts on on how much of how much of a part your worth ethic, your work ethic, your risk taking? your imagination, your willingness to get out amongst the world and learn new things, how much of that versus uh, how much of being born in the right place with, you know, with a, with a, a stable family was, was responsible for where you are today? Great question. You know, I think it's really hard to accurately assess that because I think when you're dealing with different types of psychologies, um, some people under extreme conditions rise to the top. Um, you know, if you look at, say, a guy like Francis Nagano, who is the UFC heavyweight champion of the world, I could not think of a more underprivileged, difficult, cult set of circumstances that anyone could grow up in and rose to the top of the world. So something within that environment forged him into the champion he is today. Um, so I think it would be a little bit of Monday morning quarterback to say it was this much or this much. What I can say, I'm a tar paper shack Canadian. I came from what in Canada is the lower end of the spectrum. And I've been able to rise up through that and carry other people onwards within my endeavors. And I've made lots of errors in it. I've done all sorts of things that I've had to reflect upon and correct. And I think everybody makes mistakes. And I, 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 I choose to think that the people that are even suggesting that my life is based on white privilege or whatever. Okay, well, they're entitled to their opinion. Maybe it is. I don't know. 
I can't control that factor. All I can control is my own self-growth. I'm not here to blame anybody and I'm not here to uh, pat anyone else. What I can say, this argument was very similar in the Bolshevik revolution, which was a a Marxist ideology that infected uh, Russia, which then became the Soviet Union, and it was in the proletariat, in the bourgeoisie. And it resulted in somewhere between 30 and 50 million deaths because they just killed all the competent people, particularly in the Ukraine and the starvation components. And they started uh, out of the universities by hooking the intellectuals on this utopian idea. And I'm more of a Hindu in my philosophy. And Hindu believes in a thing called karma. And in karma, the suggestion is that you're reincarnated into the environment and situation that is perfect for your psychological and spiritual development, whatever that is. Now, whether that's true or not, I can't say with absolute certainty. I believe it to be true and I operate from that. And so what I say is whatever circumstances that I'm born into, I take full responsibility for those. And I own those, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I make the best of it. And the best of it is to hold to the highest principles I possibly can of self-development, personal responsibility, personal growth, learning from my mistakes, courage, um, taking chances, learning from those inevitable mistakes, and putting forth what you feel is a dharmic principle of doing good in the world to the best of your capabilities. And for some people, that's that might be um, keeping being a janitor at the local church and keeping that church in great place. And for other people, it might be leading, uh, you know, a soon to be fortune 500 company like I am and, and, and using that in a tool to uplift people and create opportunities for people as opposed to, you know, question whether I'm worthy or I'm doing wrong or what those things at those, those conversations, I'll let, I'll let the world judge me on those and that they're fine for that. What do you say to people who, who, adopt a a victimhood mindset who categorize themselves or others based on those factors like you know yes. uh, in, in a way that is um in a in a way that is like almost resignation from you know yes. well, I I I was born this way so I can't do this and and then there's a resentment for other people who were born a different way if they happen to be doing things differently like this kind of victim mentality, what would you say to, to people like that? Well, I grew up in an, an environment very much like that. Um, I, so I can relate to a certain level of like, well, this is the way things are. And this is, you know, it's kind of, there was a resignation to what you could get to. And anyone who climbs out of it was questioned and threatened and thought of as different, or you were castigated. If you're in a rural community, decide you want to be a business person, or you wanted to go take a new course or, started early in my life when I wanted to play on the provincial team, not the local hockey team. And so I was quote unquote excommunicated from my friends groups because I all everybody big time. You think you're big time. You're going to the big city, right? (laughs) And for whatever reason, I was the kind of person that that just fueled me. Right. And uh, to give you an example, to, to illustrate this point, I recognized quite early in life that a victim mentality was not going to get me anywhere. And I got into personal development and they identified the psychology and energy of, of a victim mentality. It's not that there isn't victims. There are. Being a victim 
is is something that is going to happen to everybody on a, some aspect of life. And there's a variance of it. Obviously, being a victim of uh, political or religious or gender violence for some reason and the damage of that is is some of the most significant that can happen to people and it's happening all over the world. And I have empathy and compassion for that. And for those who have had that, that's probably the worst. So I can't speak to that because that didn't necessarily happen to me. I did have uh, excommunication from groups and, 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 you know, projected things that I didn't feel were true at the time or certainly moved out of social groups, which was hurtful at the time. But I was like, okay, fine. So I'm out of that social group. Well, I'll find a group that does, I do fit in. I'll, I'll go to the next one. And I don't need those people anyways. And, you know, it, it, it is, very, it is very systematic. You know, pick up your cross and carry it as a Christian tradition, which my mother instilled in me. You know, of course you're going to get named and of course you're going to get attacked. And of course people aren't going to understand. And sometimes the people closest to you. But to cave into that guarantees the outcome. I stay a victim. I don't rise up. I don't change my circumstances. I don't help anybody. Um, So as dire as those conditions are, um, I would prefer to to resist them to the best of my ability and and climb above them to the best I can. And the most inspirational, and to how to do that, as I read inspirational stories of people that did it, the story of Martin Luther King, the story of Mahatma Gandhi, the story of um, Muhammad Ali and, and how he rose, uh, how Arnold Schwarzenegger came from hum- humble beginnings. And I began to study people, Charles Givens and Napoleon Hill and Tony Robbins and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, Yogananda as my spiritual teacher, people that came out of very difficult situations that rose up and, 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 and made a giant positive impact in the world. And so I began to associate, at least in my mind, with those people because I had no real examples around me. And I think in today's world, we do have those opportunities. So what you focus on is what you get. And so if you focus on all that's wrong, if you focus on being a victim, you know, you're probably right. But that doesn't get you anywhere. Right. And so it might be right, but let's let's just accept what is and then take ownership of the things, the tiniest thing that I can do. And when I started, the only thing that I could do to change my life was to go out into my barn and lift weights because I could see that I could make little tiny changes in myself. And that anchored a process of consistency over time equals results. And that's been the formula for success ever since. I really could not agree more, man. And, um, you know, I just, I believe so strongly that results are based on action over time. And, and, and you know, prowess comes with practice. And I just, I see this uprising in this wave of this worshiping of, worshiping of, like it, the 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 victim mentality in this culture man and it, it concerns me because it goes against everything that i i believe and everything i teach in my own methodologies for entrepreneurship is like even if the worst thing in the world happened to you like you said you're not serving yourself if you dwell on that and 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 just if you become the person who that happened to like that's your identity 
is you're the person who that thing happened to, or you're the person who was, you know, whatever, man, there's, there's lots of things that every single person on earth can identify with as, you know, like you said, victimization happens to everybody in one way, shape or form. And if that's how you identify who you are with, um, then it's, it's not going to solve any problems in your life. It's going to keep you in that spot. Whereas if you accept, and then from whatever point you are, there's a way to move up to some direction that is desirable to some destination that is desirable. If you put effort and time and practice into where you want to go, you know? So it just, that's why I like talking to guys like you who have, who have cultivated results in their life by having a philosophy, by having a methodology that you can share with people and inspire other people. Um, let's, uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a bunch of questions, but I, I've, I've got a ferry that I've got to catch in 45 minutes. Um, I'd like to learn more about bio-optimizers and some of like, let's say take like 15 minutes and talk about your top health advice from all your experience at bio-optimizers. What is bio-optimizers? What are you guys doing? And uh, how can you help uh, listeners? Yeah, so Bioptimizers was co-founded by myself and Matt Gallant, two personal trainers and fitness uh, enthusiasts and nutritionists who grew up uh, literally on the opposite sides of the river in New Brunswick. He grew up in the French area. I grew up in the English area, which was a divisive area. Um, he's five years younger than me, digitally savvy. I'm more you know, interpersonal. And uh, after I came back from the Mr. Universe, I, what had happened is I'd helped him move to Vancouver and we were both personal trainers out there. He was a good marketer and I was just kind of good at what I did. I was a murder mouth guy. And after I got back from the Universe, he said, hey, we could sell a course online to help other people. I'm making money online. I'm like, nobody's making money online. What are you talking about? He's like, what no. What year I'm, was I'm that like, in? 2004. Okay, so just when things were starting to get kicked off and that yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, he's one of the original OGs. And I said, well, I can write the training course in the book. Um, if you can market it, let's do it. So we, we made a handshake. I didn't have a computer. I was using an internet cafe, if you can believe that. We wrote our first product and released it and, and came out of the gate successes. Um, and we just kept building from there with a passion to help other people avoid some of the mistakes and take advantage. And that was the origination of Bioptimars. Then we started out coaching body girls. We had a product called Freaky Big Naturally. And shortly afterwards, we came out with Masszymes, our first enzymatic component, because that was a key element for my uh, physical success that I figured out. And uh, long story short, over the years, that evolved into what we call Bioptimizers, which is a, a biological optimization company helping people. What we, our goal is, is to help people live healthily to 100 and beyond. So not just extending lifespan, but extending the healthy lifespan of people by a set of practices and principles. I created what's called an awesome health philosophy. We give it away on our website. Um, it's a course, my 30 plus years in the industry, five to 15 minute videos, 12 week courses, just all the foundational aspect, you know, air, water, exercise, sunlight, 
what optimizes your body, mental beliefs, attitudes, education, testing, an, an entire synchronized system so people can know where to allot their money. Basically, everything that I needed when I started out and had to figure out over 30 years, you can download and get and you can watch it in a weekend, you know, and learn it all. And then, and then, then you know where to put your resources. And we don't get to supplements to weigh down that. But one of the areas that I struggled with after the Mr. Universe was digestive health. And so we built the world's best digestive health suite. And um, that was way ahead of the time. No one was talking about enzymes and probiotics, but it caught fire in the bodybuilding community because they eat so much and have digestive issues. It got some traction and kept going and then started to spread out into the biohacking community and then uh, high-performance executives. And, and over the last five years, the company's exploded in growth. And from there, we went into the nervous system and now recently into cognitive enhancers with another brand of ours called Nootopia, which is the first customized nootropic uh, offerings uh, to the general public. And so we have nine different nootropics, which are taken in different um, combinations to the variants of each people's individual brain chemistry. And then our chemists retweak that to dial in the specifics for each person because everybody's brain chemistry is a little different. And it's been a runaway success uh, as well. And of course, we've just recently released uh, a new book called The Blueprint for Biological Optimization from Sick to Superhuman. And we address uh, three things, uh, aesthetics, performance, and health, which is our triangle. Um, the areas that people get excited about and that changes from season to season and how to um, activate the one that's most important to you without losing sight of the other things because it's very easy to get into a performance model and sacrifice your health. It's easy to be all focused on health, but you know, lose performance in the world. And our idea is to balance all three aspects, aesthetics, health, and performance. And uh, we've got a great team and uh, we've been known because we give 100% guarantee on all our products. People try it. They don't like it. We give it their money back. We even pay for the shipping. We're very heavy on education, teaching people what to do. We don't believe in just randomly shotgunning supplements in your life. We think that you need to have the lifestyle principles. That's why I give away the courses for free so that people can get the foundation and get the most out of the supplements that they are taking to augment their dietary choices. We're dietary agnostic and we're releasing a big book on this next year, I think, which is going to transform the industry. We're in a, we're in a bidding war with some publishing houses, which is pretty exciting. So. so you're already working on your next book. That's, that's impressive. Yeah, I think, I've, I think I've written about 10 now. I think this one we're on now is number 10, I think 10 or 11. I can't remember anymore. So once you write a book, then you realize it's incomplete, it's outdated. You need to, and you're going to be judged on it. You learn something new and you have, you have to, you have to write another book. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on my second right now. Actually, I'm, I'm almost to publish, uh, almost to market right now. We're just kind of tweaking the final manuscript a little bit, working with the publisher, uh, going through cover designs and stuff like that uh, right now. So yeah, and I'm already getting ideas for the third book. It must be like, uh, it's kind of an addictive process in a way. It is. It is. It's, well, you know, I think the beauty of writing a book is it helps refine one's uh, thoughts or 
experiences and then converts that into concise thoughts and then ultimately into principles. The unfortunate side of it, it, it when you get done, you you expose the gaps within that and then you need to write another book and further refine them. And so if you that's that's the interesting part. So I think that writing is a lost art and I think it's a good practice to to actually really look about well, what what parts don't I get and it, it starts to make you a little bit more humble. <laughs> Do you have any strat like any practices or strategies or habits that you use for working on books, for writing books? I do. Um, so typically what happens is I usually like to partner with somebody on books. Um, although I've got another one that's in the works. I've got two other ones in the works that I'm going to go at one day. But the process is simple. I'll sit down and we'll decide what, what it is that we, we want to address specifically and why we want to address it. So what is the reason behind the book and who is the book for? Okay. And do I have some value to offer that person because there's a perceived uh, cognitive problem in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the consciousness of the world? Okay. So for example, right now people are into biohacking, right? And I'm you know, friends with all the top biohackers and I'm in that world as well. However, I feel that why we called our company Biological Optimization or the blueprint for that was that hacking seems to be short-circuiting a system where it's like, what is the foundational principles that you're optimizing your life? So a hack might get you a short-term result, but may have long-term repercussions and consequences. So what I wanted is to build a sustainable system. So we'll go through that. We'll sit down and, well, what are the most important first principles? And then what is the application of those? And how do those work? And what is the references that support that? So we'll break out the outline to the best of our ability. And then I'll get a professional um, uh, writer to interview uh, myself. And if I'm co-authoring the book, we'll get, we'll get an interview, someone who can write and organize. And so we'll, and we'll have them ask the questions around the bullet points. And so by free flowing that way, you, you get a, basically a data dump. And then the writer is going to organize how we communicated that because I'm a verbal communicator. And so as they bring that back to us, now we look at that and we say, okay, let's begin the, re- the, the, re- the refinement of that generalized think into a logical, sequential way that we can communicate an idea, a system, a value, a principle. So when someone walks away from it, they say, I can take action or integrate this into my life. It's not just a bunch of gobbledygook all over the page. Right on. Yeah, this, this, uh, the last couple of uh, books I've worked on, I've also worked with co-authors and I find it a lot a lot easier, especially for, for someone who's, you know, running a company and like busy is all hell. And yeah, you know, you, you've got, you've got the info, but getting it out and organizing it and, and presenting it in a digestible book format is some people are better at doing that than others and, and more efficient. And uh, if you partner up with one of those people, then, it's really just about the content that's coming out of it, that's coming out of you, that's getting organized. Um, 
Right. Okay, man. Well, uh, you've got to come down to Soltara sometime. Love to. Um, you know, Matt's down in Panama. My business partner is just a hop, skip, and a jump over there. So hopefully things will open up soon and uh, we'll be back to traveling again. When did when was the last time you did ayahuasca? Um, we're looking at three or four years ago uh, was my last one. And I was actually contemplating the rise and fall of uh, ideologies throughout the world and through civilizations. And that experience uh, basically took me, uh, it's taken me three years to continually unpack. It was a, it's a, it's a tremendous introspective device if used in the right environment, in the right placing, with the right intention. And um, that's how I've leveraged that technology. I think it's great for that. So I do it here and there when I when I feel the calling, but I'm not like an every weekender kind of guy. Cool. Well, next uh, next time you get the call, feel free to hit me up, and uh, you can come down and uh, and have a session down in Costa Rica. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. All right, bro. Um, thank you so much for making the time. It was nice to meet you, and. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sure we'll cross paths at some point in the future. Good luck with uh, good luck with your company going to Fortune 500, man. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it and uh always a pleasure and I uh, love the questions and I like the departure from the normal conversation because I think it's really important. So I appreciate your uh your honesty and going after the difficult <laughs> topics that a lot of people don't want to talk about today. Well, hopefully it doesn't get me banned from from the from the internet maybe that's maybe that's the best thing to happen to us if we get banned i don't know <laughs> who knows Alrighty. take okay. care thank you sir the daniel cleland podcast thank you so much for joining us today for the daniel cleland podcast we truly enjoy you sharing your time with us if you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you Please like the episode, review the podcast, subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show. So free for you, super important for us. Like, subscribe, and review. Thank you so much. Of course, this podcast would not be possible without the continued amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica, check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently 1-800-397-1730 or look us up on social media at Sultara Healing Center. All kinds of great content nonstop coming out down the pike every day just for you. Thanks again so much for joining. I appreciate it beyond words and I look forward to doing 
many more of these episodes for you and connecting. If you want to reach out to me, there's a contact form on my website, danielcleland.com. Feel free to hit me up. I read every email and try to respond to all of them. Thanks again. Much love to you. And I hope we get to catch up soon. All the best.